the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So the, the book that I've been uh, listening to while I've been driving around is a book by Mark Manson called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fire Truck. Except that doesn't use fire truck. A counterintuitive approach to living a good life. And as he tells the story of a young guitarist who in 1983 was sacked by the band that he spent the previous two years with, just as they were about to record their first album. They gathered up all the stuff, packed his bags, they were in New York City, took him to the Greyhound bus, put him on the bus and said, off you go back to Los Angeles. So he was really sacked. So he spent that entire trip back to Los Angeles, which is a long way on a bus, thinking about what he was going to do. He was gutted, he was angry, his life goals had fallen apart. And as he went back, he decided that when he got to Los Angeles, he would find some better musicians, the ones he'd been playing with, and they would form a new band, and that band would be really successful, and then all the old band members that had just fired him would look at him, and they would as the storyteller goes, with their horrible jobs and their ugly wives, and they will think, why did we ever fire this man? Life would have been so much better if we just kept him on. And so he formed a band, and that band became quite successful. They've sold 38 million albums worldwide. They've earned platinum on five of their 15 studio albums. They've received 12 Grammy nominations and won one Grammy. And they're described as one of the big four of thrash metal. And he himself, the guitarist, is one of the most influential guitarists in the kind of heavy metal, thrash metal genre for the way he plays his guitar. So you would think that he would see himself as a success. But Mark Manson tells the story about when he was interviewed on television a few years ago, how he broke down and cried and talked about how his life was a failure. The band he started is called Megadeth. The band he was fired from is called Metallica. Metallica has won nine Grammy Awards from 23 nominations. Their last six studio albums have consecutively debuted at number one on the Billboard 200. They are one of the most commercially successful bands ever. I think they rank number three. They have sold 125 million albums worldwide. The name of the guitarist was Dave Mustaine. His problem was success for him was being bigger and more successful than Metallica. Well, he had no show. And because his measure of success was being bigger and more successful than Metallica, in that interview at least, he was unable to see all that he and his band Megadeth had achieved. As Mark Manson said, he was caring about all the wrong things. The values by which he measured his life were not life-giving. He was giving too many fire trucks to the wrong things. We saw that last Friday, Friday week, down at Christchurch, where a white supremacist, for him the thing that really motivated his life was the supremacy of the white people. We are supposed to be at the top of the tree. 
And for him, we are being replaced, partly because of our lower birth rate, so physically replaced, but also replaced in influence and power by people who are not white, not British, mostly of British descent. And so the thing that he really gave fire trucks about was how to stop that. So in the measure of his life, trying to kill a hundred people was a good thing. The thing that we measure our life by, the measures and values that we live our life by are important, as we can see from those events. When we get it wrong, we can be led down entirely the wrong garden path. And we end up doing horrific things. Why am I talking about this? Well, in this week's reading from uh, Luke's Gospel, he talks about repentance. And we often think that repentance is kind of seeing that we're doing something wrong. So the guy in Christchurch sees that he shouldn't have killed 50 people and tried to kill another 50 people. And he says, sorry for that. That's repentance. But actually, from a biblical point of view, that's not repentance. Repentance is when we learn to see the world through different eyes. So an example of that is the story I told Michelle Obama a few weeks ago. Who, when she was growing up, the thing that she really cared about, the thing that she had gave way too many fire trucks about, was being successful. Her parents were lower middle class. They didn't have enough money to do things as a family and own a house, so they decided not to own a house. And in response to that, she was going to be a very successful person with lots of money and a nice house and nice car. And so she went to Princeton and she went to Harvard and she became a lawyer because that's how she was going to be successful. And the thing that kind of led to a catalyst for her was meeting this strange uh, person called Barack Obama when she was made his supervisor when he was an intern at her, at her legal firm. And he made her question everything. She learned to see the world through different eyes. And she realised that actually, success, the things that she was measuring success by, in the end weren't viable. That she needed, that she actually didn't enjoy being a lawyer. And she needed to find some other ways of measuring her life. She learned to see her life through different eyes. She repented of her, own, her previous life and started living a new life. Now, I'm not saying that was a Christian repentance, but it was repentance. It was seeing the world through different eyes, seeing her life through different eyes, and then living her life in light of that. It's a really good example of that. Christian repentance is when we see the world through God's eyes. And we measure success through God's values. So what does that look like? Well, in our reading today from Isaiah 55, now remember Jesus was very shaped by Isaiah. He quotes it in Luke 4. That's his mission statement. All the Gospels have Jesus quoting Isaiah a lot. Isaiah was the prophet that he based a lot of his understanding about who he was and what his life was about. The... The things that he was to care about, the things that he was supposed to invest energy into, were shaped by Isaiah. 
And so in that reading from Isaiah that we heard today, we hear about God's outrageous generosity. I don't know how many of you are listening closely, but in that reading, God offers the best food and the best drink to everyone, whether they deserve it or not, whether they can afford it or not. Why are you putting up with bread and water when I'm offering you this? Outrageous. In our free market economy, people would be having kittens about that. No, 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 that's not how the economy works. You've got to pay for that kind of stuff. You just don't give it away. Well, God was saying, I am giving this away, whether you deserve it or not. Isaiah 55 invites us to live in that divine generosity, in response to that generosity, to see the world and our own lives through that story, to measure success in our life through that story, through that outrageous generosity of offering life, offering all good things to all people, whether they deserve it or not. That's a hard story, really, if we're honest, because we are pretty shaped by the free market economy. We know you get what you deserve. A lot of Christian theology is built around that. If you're good enough, you will get it. If you say the right prayer, you will get it. Whatever it is, mostly eternal life, however we understand that. In the story we heard today, it's a story about a people who measured everything in terms of whether you were good enough or not. And so if you, were, if you were righteous, then God rewarded you. God rewarded you with long life, with wealth, with health, with power, with influence. So people understood that the wealthy of Jesus' time were the righteous. Even though they could see that actually they weren't very righteous at all. So there was a question about why is God rewarding these people? And so the question that comes up, when they ask, when they talk about these Galileans who have been killed by the Romans and the blood has been mingled with their sacrifices, were these people worse sinners than the rest of us? Because terrible things have happened to them. And Jesus' answer is no. You're all equally bad sinners. The poor, the rich, like the poor, like we're not worse sinners than everyone else. Like if the wealthy get rewarded, then the poor have been punished. Think about that. Think about how that affects how you approach God and, and your understanding of God. Think about how that shapes how you measure your life, how, you, how it shapes the things you give energy to. You are all equally sinful. The point about repent, see the world through different eyes or perish is unless you start seeing the world through God's eyes, you will perish. We all die. Who knows when it's going to happen? Life is fragile. Don't think you've got lots of time. Learn to see through different eyes. Not say sorry for the bad things you've done, but learn to see through different eyes. If you'd been around at the same time as Michelle Obama, maybe you would have used that story instead. Who knows? Probably not. But it's a good example of what repentance is about. When we learn to see through the eyes of God, when we learn to see through the eyes of generosity and compassion, when we measure our life through that, 
then we have life. And the sooner we do it, Jesus says, the better. Well, Lent is a time for us to stop and to take stock. It's a time of repentance. What is repentance? Learning to see through God's eyes. Learning to evaluate our lives through the kind of values that Isaiah and Jesus talk about. And to measure our life using those. Which may be a little uncomfortable for some of us. If we've spent a long time measuring our life by other values. But that's the invitation. The invitation to be honest. Are we like Dave Mustaine? Caring about all the wrong things. And unable to actually see the successes in our life? Or are we more like Michelle Obama? Able to stop and take stock and go, you know what? I don't actually like being a lawyer. I don't like what I'm trying to do with my life. I need to boldly step out and do something different. Today we have our AGM. And I think that question applies as much to us as a parish as it does as individuals. I actually listened to a lot of this book, Driving to and from our clergy day in Nongataha, and I mean, I kind of made me think about the kind of things that we care about as a church. Laurie has just done the statistics, and if, if you went on the statistics, the things that are really important for us as a church are how many people attend church, how many have received communion, how many came on Sunday, how many were here on Easter, how many were here on Christmas, how many people attend our children's programs, how many attend our youth groups, how many study groups do we have. Those are the important things by which we measure success. And I would have to say, are we caring about putting energy into using the wrong measures? Or are there other things that we should be measuring, using to measure our life as a parish? Those are things that are good indicators, but I would say they're not the actual measures. So what are they? So I have some questions for us, particularly because it's AGM Sunday. So I want you to talk to your neighbour, and I want you to talk about what was one success in our parish last year. One success. It could be anything. You can choose. And what makes that a success for you? What are the measures you use for you to decide that that was a success? I don't understand the third question, so you can ignore it. I'm trying to think what I was thinking when I wrote that. No, nothing comes. So, what are the measures you, we use for a success? So I think that's what I was trying to say. But I was trying to think two things at the same time. It didn't come out right. It's terrible. And then, given. So what was a success? What makes that a success? What does that reveal about what measures you use for success? Are we being invited to... I think invited is the word. Are we being invited into seeing new ways of measuring success? And given that, what are three wishes for us in the next year? So as we get ready for our AGM. So turn around, you've got a few minutes to chat. We're not going to do a creed. This is going to be our creed today. Having a conversation about how we measure success and what that might mean for our future. In, F, in, 
In effect, we are repenting while we talk. 